welcome to the Top Order podcast. Well, our next guest played almost 80 matches for New Zealand across all formats during a glittering 20-year first-class career for Wellington and Warwickshire, where he bagged the prestigious Wisden Cricketer of the Year Award in 2014. If that's not impressive enough for you, he was the leading wicket-taker across domestic and international cricket in the 2010s, spinning his way to a mammoth 1,075 wickets at an average of 29 and 35 Michelle Pfeiffers. He's played his final first-class game for Wellington, but we don't know yet whether he will pull on the bare and ragged staff of Warwickshire again. But he's also transitioned into the next phase of his career already, taking up a role as spin bowling consultant for England during their recent tours of New Zealand and South Africa, as well as a short stint on the aborted trip to Sri Lanka. Jeetan Patel, welcome to the Top Order podcast. Hey, mate. Hey, guys. Nice to, nice to hear from you all. Yeah, look, good to speak with you. Look, first and foremost, we always want to ask, was, you know, cricket always your dream growing up? How did you get into the game and, and hopefully fall in love with it at an early age? Yeah, pretty old school story, mate. Look, my obviously being from India, Indian descent, my old man was pretty keen for me to get into cricket. Um, and we just started in the hallway, mate. Um, just like any, I suppose, any three-year-old would. I'm trying to get my <laughs> three-year-old to do it now. And mum, mum's not overly happy with it, but it doesn't matter. You know, whack the ball down the hallway and have, have a bit of a laugh. And I think that's where it started, if I'm really, being really honest. Um, back in the day, obviously, only three channels. And one of them hosted cricket all summer long. So you could sit there and just chill as a, as a, as a youth and watch as much cricket as you wanted. And, um, and it kicked on from there, mate, to be honest with you. And we, I guess we read you started out as a scene bowler. So who, who were you watching on that TV channel and, and wanting, to, uh, wanting to emulate in that corridor? Mate, Paddles. Paddles was the one, wasn't he? Sir Richard. Mm. Um, what a genius. And, you know, through, throughout the early 80s, he was obviously the guy that everyone looked up to and he was dominating the world in terms of, well, from as from little old New Zealand anyway. And then going over to County Cricket and doing it over there, it's pretty hard to go past him, mate. And... When did you, I guess, realise that you had a, a talent for the game and that you were going to potentially be able to make a living out of it? I, I probably, I don't know if I did until I was probably about 19. So, you know, well done the track. But I, I had the passion, I had the desire to, to want to keep playing. Every, You know, I, used to, I still think about the days when, um, you know, you think about kids sport now and it's raining on a Friday night and you sort of, I used to get really disappointed when it used to rain on Friday night because, I mean, the cricket would be cancelled on Saturday. But, um, but, you know, like those are the days where I suppose the passion was instilled. And then from there, um, it became it became really serious. And, you know, all of a sudden it's gone from one training a week to two or three to two games on the weekend, school holidays full. And, and all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're just you're doing it 24-7 and, and it probably became real about, about age 19. So I guess quite natural to when you're emulating paddles, start out bowling seamers, but you, <laughs> you, you then shifted to spin. What, what prompted that? Were you, you just not have the gas? No, of course not, mate. I'm a <laughs> tiny little Indian bloke, you know, like with skinny legs and, and they're not a very big ass. And, you know, you, you need the power and the strength and all that sort of stuff. And I was never going to be quick enough. Um, you know, with a red king, I was always going to swing, so I had a chance. But, mm. um, but like, I suppose when I was 15, uh, fifth form um, for the, what is it? What's it? What is it now? Year eleven, I think it is. Is that what they call it? Um, it's probably when I started bowling spin, and purely because you know we just needed a spinner in the first eleven, and I'd had a little goal at it in the nets, and um, 
and it worked. And then all of a sudden, you know, in the Wellington team and and the 16s as, as a spinner, and from there things start to excel pretty quickly. And you made your debut for Wellington in '99, and, and obviously retired very, very recently, and seemed very emotional at the end of that final game for your province. Was that sort of always really special playing for for Wellington from your you know your debut and, and starting out? Yeah, I mean '99 when I first when I first played in '99 2000, you know I only played the red ball, um, sat on the bench for a lot of it, and, and it was it was a dream. Eh? I was you know leaving school to go to train with the boys and. The year before that, at eighteen, and and well, I say the boys, the men, um, <laughs> the big dogs, and you know, to be in changing rooms with with those names and with those people, it's it's pretty special. Um, and then, you know, my retirement, obviously, twenty years later, I, I think the emotional part was the fact that oh, I won't get to play at the Basin Reserve again. I won't won't get to put on the Firebird again, or, or Wellington wear the Wellington crest. And it's been such a huge part of my my life, let alone my career. That um, that even even now thinking about it, it's you know it's been good fun, mate. And and I'm not going to miss the times, but such is life, mate. Everyone moves on, and everyone gets a little bit too old, and um, you know things things move on to the next next chapter. And and gee, no, I feel like I first heard your name starting to pop up um, because you were a spinner that bowled at the death in, in limited overs games. Is that is that sort of right? And then is that like something you really tried to to make your specialty? Nah, I, I wouldn't have said it was my specialty at the time. I think it just panned out that way. Mm. Uh, we played a game at Eden Park. Um, I can't remember what year it was now. And it just happened to be that Flynn was, Steve Flynn was captain and he, I think he may have messed up the overs and I had to bother last. <laughs> but I think they needed seven or eight off the last over to win. And, um, or he took the gamble. I think he may have taken the gamble to get someone else on and try and take a whack in the 49th. Um, and I had to come on and bowl the 50th and, I didn't really have much option to eat a part number two. You know, I wasn't going to toss it up um, to get into the mobile again. So I just I just threw it, tried to throw it straight at the hole. And, yeah, it came off, mate. Um, you know, some days it works, some days it doesn't. I suppose the surprise factor of, you know, an off-spinner bowling death and trying to hit the hole, as they call it. Um, and Yorkers, you know, the surprise factor got us over the line. But um, I've had some good times at it. But it's just like every other death bowler, I've had some really bad times at it as well. Yeah. yeah, and you mentioned Fleming there. What was he like as a skipper? I guess from the outside, seemed really calculated and and a, and a real thinker of the game. You you kind of mentioned that bowling at the death of as a spinner then was probably pretty rare. But yeah, what was he like as a skipper through your career? Oh mate, fantastic. Yeah, uh, one. Yeah, we're still good friends now, and yeah, he's he's just a really nice bloke. And I think um, going to him and, and when I was young, especially when he was still captain of Wellington and. And then captain his young team at the same time. It was it was more about going explore yourself for me. He never really put any any reins on me to do anything um, in particular. Just go and express who I was and, and have some fun doing it. Um, you know, he he could get he could get rolled up, and I suppose behind those Oakley, Oakley glasses, you wouldn't have seen the real Steve Fleming at times. But um, but look, he, he had he had standards. Um, he expected a lot from the guys, and and to be fair, because he let guys go and and let them do what they needed to do, more often than not, he got the best out of it. And, Gene, sort of going back to that death stuff, I, I mean, I've always really liked the fact, I'm an offspinner as, as well, and, um, I mean, pretty much my whole career, all I really wanted to do was just go through the gate and spin it as hard as I could. And, and it feels like <laughs> you're someone that Very wants to, to spin the ball yeah. as well. But, like, yeah. 
bowling those death Yorkers and stuff, did that impact your action and, you know, mess around with technical stuff? Yeah, of course it did. You know, it, mm. it, it, it screwed me, actually. It, um, I think I got picked in the New Zealand team to bowl white ball, um, you know, and 50 over cricket to be able to bowl the death as well. I became those super subs in, the, in that era where you could sub in a player, which is a bit of a weird one, sitting in the bullpen, bowling away, waiting to get on the park. Um, but it did. It screwed my action, really. I had to start again. Uh, sort of early, late 20s, early 30s, I had to remodel my action. And, you know, it was, it was almost 18 months of bowling and games without a run-up because I didn't really bother about what run-up I had. I just wanted to get my action sorted. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of technical stuff. My arms got lower and my legs got longer in terms of my delivery stride and therefore it, was, it basically impacted how the ball was coming out um, and how I reacted down the other end. So it took a lot of work, but, you know, we got there in the end and, you know, I'm glad... I'm happy that those people that really wanted it for me, you know, stuck by me around those periods, and and we sort of we we found another niche market abroad, and and um, went and looked at that. Yeah, I mean, you you're often a super sub in those in those early ODIs for New Zealand when that rule was in place. How did you feel about being a super sub um, in those white ball games? Did you feel comfortable in that role, or was that something that was really hard to adapt to? Oh, mate, it's it's a, it's a different job. That's different. Be fair, I don't really care. I was, I got to play for New Zealand, mate. You know, I was put the silver fin on and, and get out and play and and probably have an impact in important parts of the game. So uh, it didn't bother me. What what bothered me is that you know when you're super sub and then you bowl first because you lose a toss and bowl first. It's mm-hmm. like, well, you know, I'm just going to sit on the sideline for the rest of the game now. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I did that a lot of the time, but you know, at that point when you you're still a sniff up until the toss, um, yeah, it was a bit weird, but it was look different. You know, and, and I didn't mind it. Obviously, being a young guy trying to just make his way and, and have some fun on the international scene, it was it didn't really bother me. But um, but now, I, I don't know how it would impact the game. It's the weird one. You'd have to look at real specialist players, I reckon, that, you know, it'd probably be guys who bomb it out the park because um, but they're guys you can get in at any time in the game. And, and you mentioned sort of being, you know, bowling at the death and stuff and... and sort of how did being an all-format cricketer kind of impact your bowling? I feel like it's sort of had a pretty negative influence on some of our spinners, at least at test level in, in recent years. Like, Do you think it's actually realistic that players, or probably spinners these days, can actually be at their best in, in all formats? Oh, look, it's, it's a tough one to answer, but I think if when you're a young guy growing up and you get your opportunity in white ball cricket, you only really tend to focus on white ball cricket, so you get your white ball skills up. Um, you make sure that your white ball skills are at their best because when it, New Zealand come calling, they they want you to play white ball cricket. But uh, and that's maybe it's part of this maturity thing that spinners need to go through. But um, but being uh, being able to go right, what are my core skills? Okay, what's got me here? And that's been able to get the ball up and out of my hand and get the ball down, drift, spin, da da da. They're the really important things. I mean. Been able to choose day to day, right? What skills do I need per day? Is it 2020? Is it 50 over? Is it four day cricket? For five day cricket, you know, and, and even then, at what part of the game am I bowling it? Because sometimes you have to toss it up and try and take wickets, and some guys, you some days you really just have to defend and, and suck it up. And and sort of those early years of your career was kind of right in the Saclane Murley sort of out era. Did like did you ever put any time into bowling a Dusra or something like that? <laughs> yeah, I tried a couple of times, mate. I almost bust my shoulder trying to trying to be a bit silly with it. But <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, I was pretty natural. 
Um, I've got a pretty orthodox section, so mm. trying to add in something like that would, was always going to cause trouble. Uh, it might have meant that I would end up going past the, the degrees, the allowed degrees in, in, the, in the elbow or whatever it was. Or, and I, it wasn't really about to mess with an opportunity to play international cricket. Um, since then, you know, there's another way. There's other ways to develop it, but I probably spent a lot more time in, in my middle part of my career uh, perfecting, you know, who I was and, and what I did, and and trying to get my real art out um, before I started looking at any variations beyond that. You made your debut for New Zealand in 2005. What do you remember pulling on that black cap for the first time playing Test and ODI cricket? Yeah. Look, my first memory was driving to the ground on game day at um, the Rari Sports Club. And, you know, you when you drive in there in Zimbabwe, you, uh, it's right next to Mugabe's residence. And we drive down this really long um, tree-lined street. On one side, there's this big uh, fence with, you know, big pine trees or whatever they are above them. And on top of them, is just snipers everywhere. And I'm like, Jeez, what, wow. what is this? You know, what, what have I got myself in? So I don't realise, you know, you're, I mean, I'm a 25-year-old trying to play, wanting, loving playing cricket. And, um, yeah, that was a bit daunting, you know, having McGarvey's residence and the snipers looking down on you whilst you're just trying to play a game. But, uh, <laughs> I mate, mean, a lot of my memories was just a lot of fun. Uh, everyone was really open to me uh, being there, and, and they, they all wanted me to have some fun and succeed along the way. So, you know, uh, to be honest with you, it was, just, it was just a fun time for a 25-year-old. There was no... No real pressure, and I probably played with that sort of freedom initially until it became real that I could probably make a career out of it. And when did it really become real for you? Did you ever feel like you belonged at test level? Did you ever feel kind of entrenched in that New Zealand side, or do you always feel like you were under pressure to hold your place in the team? Uh, I think initially I was always under, I felt like I was always under pressure. Um, you know, with our, with our setup, especially in New Zealand, we were not really going to play two spinners. Um, Dan was obviously the number one, and and there was never going to be anyone that was going to take his spot unless he was injured. Um, even when we went abroad, we had such a decent seam attack um, that a seam attack could control. Um, it meant that Dan could do what he did. And so I was always in and out of the side. And, and look, I'm not trying to, to whinge and moan about it. I'm still very grateful for the opportunities. But um, I probably didn't feel like I was ever comfortable in, in that environment. Uh, in terms of playing, I think socially and being around the lads and, you know, touring, I was always, I really enjoyed it. And, and I think everyone enjoyed me whilst I was there. But mm. but um, I was always felt like I was having to prove myself the whole way. What was Dan Vittori like as a mentor? He was obviously a big part of that New Zealand cricket side for a very, very long time. As a fellow spinner, what was he like in terms of working with him on, on your craft? Oh, man, he was really, he was awesome. Um, in fact, still is, you know, he, he was awesome about how he went his job. Uh, we'd talk about technical stuff, tactical stuff, even even to the point where, mate, you know, how are you feeling? What's going through your mind? Like, how are we going to combat today? Um, what are we working on training? He was always good at uh, just just poking and prodding me at the right time. And and I was lucky when I started. I had John Bracewell, who obviously is pretty technically sound as an off-spinner himself, but quite hard-nosed. So I, I had two guys that one was, you know, Easy, easily approachable in terms of Dan Vittori, and the other guy was was my boss who, <laughs> who expected a lot. Um, and and you know, and fair enough. Uh, I, every day we try to deliver for braces. Um, and and with Dan, it was it was always just look, always be yourself. You know, there's no need to do anything special. We just go about our jobs as we do, and and along the way we'll have success. 
You mentioned John Bracewell there. We, we've um, we've also spoken with Shane Bond, and who said he really loved working with John, and he just challenged you as a player. And and um, but I just remember feeling at the time, hearing all the stuff that there were, he definitely wasn't some people's cup of tea. Did he really rub people up the wrong way like that much? Or? Oh no, he didn't, he didn't really rub them up the wrong way. It was just more the fact that he just demanded. Um, you know, every every tour we'd go on, and it was like right. We rock up the training. It was like, right, lads, you've had your time off. You've had your messing about. You know, right, we're here for work, and, and we just train our train our asses off for four hours on day one. And we were like, we've been naked. We think, come on, Bracey, just calm down. But he just he, he literally was just old school. You know, he was of the of the school of work hard, get your, get your stuff done, and get out of here. Um, but along the way, we were the smarts. We were going to gain our gain our one two percent on on the opposition and. And that's probably what we needed to do because we, as much as we had superstars and got good players, we, we probably didn't have ten of them. You know, we probably had five or six of them. Mm. Whereas opposition teams at that time were were stacked, um, so we had to find different ways to win games. And he was very good at finding those ways, and a lot of that was stemmed in our fielding. And so he put a lot of pressure on us to make sure that our fielding was a top notch, and and we'd probably be able to skim on other areas because of that. But he, he he did drive drive us and like I've been around coaches uh, sport cricket and and hockey up until that stage and all that's all they did they were all old school about how you did your job um, you rocked up you did it as hard as you can and you got out of there when you could. How did that environment differ from when you came back into the team sort of 2016 17 when it was the sort of McCullum and Hessen setup? Oh look, whether the environment had changed or not, I don't really know, but I know I had changed so. Mm. It was a different. It was a different argument, in in that sense. So I changed. I'd grown up. I'd had kids. I, you know, I don't know. I just lived. Um, I've been through different stresses. Cricket wasn't the be all and end all. It was really fun. Um, yes, I probably still treat it like the be all and end all. But it, you know, I'd leave cricket and, and be okay with however it went. Um, and then you know, like when I went back in, bears. Baz was really cool about just be yourself and be open and, you know, always talk about how we're going to get better and, and be sociable with the game. Um, and, and Hess let him do that as well. So it meant that the players could really just manage themselves, I suppose. And if you look at the players now that went through that era, they know how, how to do their job very well and, and how to behave on that on that world, world stage in terms of on the park and off the park. Um, so it was it was different, yes, but I had changed as well. So it was, it was quite hard to. I I would have loved to have been the thirty six year old uh, at at twenty five, if that makes sense. I would have loved to have had all that years, all those years of knowledge, and and probably lived a little bit to be able to then just enjoy the ride a bit more. And and um, going going back again to um, the two thousand seven World Cup, what, what was that experience like? We've had a few guests on that have sort of talked about the West Indies is a pretty fun place to tour. Did you guys get to enjoy yourself on a tour like that, or or is it all sort of business at a World Cup? Oh no, it was cool, man. It was crazy. Um, <laughs> it was really cool. We were lucky enough to have our two week pre camp in Barbados, um, so you know, everyone gets stationed around around the West Indies, around the Caribbean. We we had Barbados for two weeks, and and braces are pretty open. So it's like, look, you work you work as hard as you can. Um, you make sure you get everything done. We we play hard, we train hard, but look at the end of it. I'm not going to stop you from enjoying Barbados, um, you know, because nice. he'd be just taking away the opportunity if he did. Yeah. Um, 
but we, we all had to rock up at work and we all had to make sure we did our jobs and we all did them. And, and we had success throughout that tournament. You know, it was a shame that we'd, we lost against Sri Lanka in the semi-final and rah, 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 but, um, but we played some great cricket and what a cool place to tour. I mean, my old man and my, and his mates were over there and, and they loved it. Um, yeah, they absolutely loved it. They stopped drinking Karuba rum after that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that does that. That's happened to a lot of people. <laughs> I don't, on on the tournament, I, I feel like it was a really weird tournament. It's been in the the media a little bit. I read an article on Crick Info today about how people were sort of defending it, saying it was because people, a lot of people, say it's sort of the worst World Cup in in recent times. And I, and I feel like I can't really remember much of the cricket that went on. It was sort of all the things that, that went on off the field, like, you know, India, Pakistan being knocked out, I guess, obviously Bob Woolmer. The Dwayne like, Leverock catch. Yeah, that Dwayne Leverock catch. Yeah. Finishing the final in the dark. Like, it was just sort of a weirdish tournament. But it sort of sounds like maybe it didn't feel that way for you guys. Oh, not at all, mate. It was just marred by dumb stuff. You know, mm. when I say dumb stuff, like, we're just marred by stuff. I mean, you know, playing in the dark, you know, that's a bit silly. Would, you know, would it happen now? Probably so. Well, probably not because it'd be under lights anyway. Mm. Um, the Bob Wilmer thing, that was a bit eerie because we moved in the hotel straight after. Oh, right. The same hotel. Um, yeah, it was just, just some, you know, we were, there was a lot of island hopping. The, the England England guys got totally snapped, you know, being Muppets out on the booze. Um, <laughs> That's right. You know, and we were in the hotel next door. To be fair, we were having beers in that night as well. <laughs> you weren't on the boat, though. No, but we weren't on a pedal. We'd beaten them, so we, we, you know, we were fine. Um, <laughs> and and that, and like that story got blown out. Like we were having beers with them and in the bar, and all of a sudden the media rock up, going, "Well, they've lost, and what are they losing for?" Well, part of it's also this is the Caribbean. You know, this is how they play their cricket. This, and and I know that we're international sportsmen, and I know that we're on the world stage, and there's going to be some people that don't dislike what I say there, but in 2007, and you're in the Caribbean, like you'd be silly to miss out on on being one of the lads. And you know, you've got four or five days between games. It's okay as long as you don't go too ballistic. And mm. and maybe um, maybe they did push the boat out too far with that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Nice one. And oh, I remember. Um, I don't know if you've seen the um, the documentary "Breaking Boundaries," or I think it's called that. The when the Irish guys beat um, Pakistan and and sort of that World Cup experience for them. And yeah, the, there's some pretty good footage of them. Well, first in the changing rooms, Trent Johnson gives them a, a real um, a real good speech at the at that time. But then they yeah they go into the party and then on the bus and it's brilliant. Yeah, it's, it is, mate. And, and their memories, you know, like. It was, it was 13 years ago now, and you know people might want to have a dig at me for it, but their memories, mate, and then like maybe because I'm on the verge of retiring, they're the things I hold on to. Now the winning and losing is a game, so I'm going to forget that stuff. Um, but the relationships and and that are formed around it, and and that's part of it. You know, having a beer in a changing room, win or lose, mm-hmm. and and probably more often than not, I'm probably going to remember the times we've lost because we sit there solemnly looking around at each other, going, "How have we lost?" But you know, you get together as mates and you. And you get back on the horse again, if you know what I mean. Um, and that's probably the better feeling, to be honest with you, getting back on the horse again as it is to getting over the line some of the time. Is that some of that sort of post-days play socialisation that, that doesn't seem to happen in dressing rooms as often these days? Is that something that, that cricketers now are missing out on, do you think? Uh, I, I don't know, mate. I, I don't know. Professionalism's huge. Guys are you know pretty concerned about their rigs nowadays. Um <laughs> 
So it's, it's fair. I mean, guys, you know, obviously calories in and da 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 and and rehabbing and repairing their bodies and, and a lot of them, you know, are playing with injuries, so they're probably not allowed to. Um, their schedule's a lot tighter now. I mean, they've got you know less days between games, so there's less rest. But it's the, obviously there's still guys socialising. There's still guys catching up with opposition, and mm. they have to because. You play with half of them now. You know, with all these leagues around the world, you end up playing with half the guys you play against. Mm. Um, and it's very hard not to. It's very not to, hard not to have a beer with someone that you play with and, mm. and so remember some good times or even just talk about the day's play and or what what's next, you know. Um, but I, I think there's a lot of information lost as well. I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of those times where you can sit next to someone in the opposition or, or even someone you'd be a bit daunted to talk to. And just have a conversation around, you know, where you're at or where he's at or where the game's going and how you might be able to impact, impact it better. Because it's it's because, I don't know if people are protective of their of their knowledge, um, or or it's just just not seen the cool thing to do anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's okay. Like, I think that circle's turning again, mm. where it is it is cool to talk to the oppo and just talk about what's going on. Um, and, and, you know, having a beer and be smart about it, sure, go for it. Don't get me wrong, there's many times I haven't been that smart about it, but, you know, I've still, I've still learned a lot during those times, and I think that's the big thing is a lot of people don't see that every opportunity is an opportunity. Um, you know, some guys would see it as, oh, I'd rather just go back to my room and chill. Well, okay, mm. go for it, mate. Uh, no one's going to stop you, but it just seems a bit dumb. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll, we'll go back to um, sort of just after that World Cup, I guess, and then you had it sort of in the all around the setup um, for a year or so after that. But sort of after 2009, you didn't really get much of a go in the, the T20s and the ODIs and, and really just sort of sporadically in, in tests. I mean, how, how tough was it to be that second spinner behind Vittoria? And I remember sort of feeling like you just went through all those years and, and sort of didn't really get to play any games because you're always 12th man and you're always in the squad, but you never really got to play. Yeah. I, I, yeah. But I still enjoy myself. Um, <laughs> yeah. Looking back, I still had some good fight, good times, but yeah, it was tough. Um, mm. It was real tough actually sitting there and, you know, thinking um, I'm training the house down. I'm doing it for the camp, but this just the opportunity won't arise. And, and I ended up playing my games in the nets, which probably didn't help me. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up, you know, going to training as if right, this is my time. And then game day would come around. I, I would I probably got to a point where I wasn't even prepared to play because I wasn't didn't even think I would. Um, which is a real bad state to be in. But that's just that was almost like the cycle I got myself into. Mm-hmm. And then there were other competitors that started to knock on the door as well. And and I took my, in some ways, took my eye off that, um, to my eye off the people that are coming in behind me, and, and they started to go in front of me. Which look, you know, it, it happens. Uh, I made the mistake, and and it meant another someone else came through. But, um, but in that, like, I, I still look back and go, wow, that was there's some pretty cool times. Um, you know, even sitting there when we as twelfth men. Um, we had some good fun just watching the boys go and have go and succeed, um, and and that's probably it. That's where I probably got my desire to to want to do more for cricket beyond playing for New Zealand. Was that like winning games of cricket as a team means so much more than than my own personal um, output that day. Mm-hmm. And I was so concerned about what I was going to do that I forgot about where the team was, how the team was tracking. Mm-hmm. And became a bit selfish, to be honest with you. Um, 
which is not really me when it comes to cricket. Mm. And I mean, you know, a lot was made sort of around that the end of that sort of first stint for New Zealand, you know, in South Africa and stuff in, in 2013. And and I mean, when the when the media and the fans kind of start having a crack at you, how how hard is it to block out those voices? Oh, it's, uh, personally, it was difficult, real difficult, because mm. I, I quite enjoyed. Um, I, I mean, I'd only ever had good media. Mm. Uh, I've only had ever had good fans, people that have enjoyed me playing, or you know, had good banter with. So. To, to have them turn on me was a bit, ooh, it was a bit hard. Mm. Um, actually, real difficult. Got into a really dark space, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, it wasn't fun. Didn't really want to play cricket beyond that. Um, I think within the own, with the four within the four walls of my house at the time, I'd probably quit. Mm. Um, yeah, I did. Yeah, I could be asked with it, mate. Mm. Um, was there and a then, moment that turned it turned around? What? Why? Did... Oh yeah, I, look, I got back from the tour and SA and it wasn't fun, and I, I copped a lot of criticism, which is you know fair. Looking back, I wasn't very good, um, and I think most of my family came to the fore, my family and friends, and you know I, I was moping around for quite a while, a while before they got me off mass, and then I got in touch with a, with an old mate, old coaching mate, uh, Ashley Mallet, and he, well, he got in touch with me actually just. <laughs> one of these old school one-line emails saying, where's the old Jeets gone? <laughs> and you know, I could have lost that in spam. I could have deleted it. I could have not given two toss about what he said, but um, but it had a note. Nice. Um, and, yeah, and we got back to work. And, and you know, we, we worked really hard to get my action right. We worked um, really hard to get my head right. And, and on it flew from there, you know. And then we had a little girl and um, – and that changed my perspective on cricket again, where it was just, it became a job. It became like leave at eight, come home at seven, but that's all it is. Cool. You know, that's, that's just, it's just at work. And, and I enjoyed it a lot more for that fact. You know, I was more concerned about, about um, my wife and kids and, and where we were going as a family as opposed to all this pressure I was putting on myself about cricket. Mm-hmm. And I guess that moves on. Yeah, perspective, absolutely. Um, I want to move on to Warwickshire, and I guess I'll get the, the pleasure of having a chat with you about this, being a Birmingham boy myself. Um, yes, boy. I, I, look, I'm, I, I'm not going to claim I'm 100% bear. Um, yeah, well, that's not fair. You said you're a Birmingham lad. I am a, I am a, I am a Birmingham lad, but lived in Worcestershire as well. So um, I've, got an affi- I've got an affinity for both, um, both counties. But look, certainly grew up watching cricket at Edge Baston in that, look, I guess, Alan Donald and Keith Piper, Lara sort of era, which was pr- pretty cool to watch. What an era, mate. What an era. Look, it was, it was, it was fantastic, particularly with the day-night cricket starting at that point and seeing, you know, AD and Gladstone Small steaming in under lights was, was yeah, was pretty, pretty good. But you started with Warwickshire in 2009 and, and been there ever since. How did that come about? And um, also want to just give a nod to your debut as well. So 100 batting at 10 and, and uh, a big partnership <laughs> with Trotty. I only got one for that. I think got one for a two for I don't know, but um, yeah, no, that just came about. It was I, the two thousand eight tour to England. Um, Steve Fleming introduced me to his agent, um, and I thought, yeah, why not? Like I'm not, I've got nothing to lose here. And you know, the so that must have been like midnight in January or something in two thousand nine, January or February. I got a phone. The phone starts ringing. I'm like, whoa, what's that? Um, and it's this agent saying, look, Warwickshire came. Would you be interested? I was like, oh, okay. It really came really right out of the blue. Um, 
and that year was a tough year. You know, I didn't really play that well. I didn't really like the Jukes ball. I wasn't used to playing day in, day out. I, you know, I've been used to having my rests in between games and maybe the youngest pints got to me. I don't know what it was, but <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't, um, I wasn't as good as I would have liked to have been. Um, bust my knee playing touch rugby of all things at warm-ups. Ugh. Yeah. I hate, now I hate touch those rugby. games. Yeah. <laughs> especially, I'm not a rugby player. I'm never going to be. Um, yeah. So I had to come home. I finished that, that uh, stint early. I had to come home to rehab to go to Sri Lanka um, with the New Zealand team. And then I missed 2010, but from 2011 onwards, they, they got me back and, yeah, it was. It's been awesome, mate. Um, a real revival for my passion for cricket, um, and I think it is that understanding of pure professionalism over there, where it is, it is a job. It's you know every day, day in, day out, all summer, um, and you appreciate your time off. You, you know, it's easier to not think about cricket on your time off as it is to, to think about when's my next opportunity to succeed because it's the, it's usually the next day, um, or to to go again. Um, we didn't practice much either because there was too much cricket, so I really enjoyed that. Um, going away from not practicing and just making sure I'd, my boxes were ticked, ready to go um, every day for game day. So uh, I don't know what it was, mate, but it, it probably meant that I got to play more. Um, I was playing every day. Uh, I've obviously said that third, three times now, but <laughs> but um, but leading up into that, obviously being twelfth man for a lot of time, I was training a lot but not practicing, so mm-hmm. uh, not playing, so flip the tables and now I get into the battle of it all and I probably learnt a lot more about myself and my game just by being in England to be honest with you. Yeah, well, you mentioned that the, pl- <clears throat> the, the playing everyday piece there and certainly from a stats perspective, um, one of the things we, you know, we, we pulled up was you're the leading first class wicket taker since 2012, <laughs> um, 640 wickets and more than 200 wickets more than the nearest spinner in that group as well. Is that... It's purely about playing every day in terms of that's what that success is down to, do you think? Yeah, I mean, obviously playing a lot more. You know, I would have played probably near on 10 games more than anyone else. I don't really know the numbers. I haven't looked at them, but... Um, oh, come on. I, I was, yeah, like I was playing it. Yeah, to be fair, <laughs> no, it's not one thing I do. Everyone yeah. else tells me about it, but... Um, I can just imagine, you know, you're, you're playing 14 championship games a year plus 8 to 10 in New Zealand. It's, you know, 20, 22, 24. Um, so my numbers theoretically should be up there, but it did just come from bowling every day, um, knowing when to rest and knowing when to train, knowing what I needed mentally, physically, um, you know, to be able to succeed and, and also target certain games, certain pitches, and, and really just took grasp of where I was going and trying to take the team, uh, trying to see what the team needed from me as well. Um, understanding my role, to be honest with you, that's what exactly what it was, and and I learned that over a couple of years and all of a sudden the last four or five years have been pretty cool to, to be a part of. Um, you know, there's been a lot of success there. But, yeah, it's, it, it probably just comes down to playing playing games, mate. It, and the more you play, the more you, you're willing to sit back and, and learn from those um, mistakes or, or the times where you've had success has, has been a, a good thing for me because I, I never really did that. It was always right. Um, I've played, I've got to play better next time or why I need to train more because I'm not doing exactly what I want. Well, you can't be at your best every day. It's what you've got is what you've got that day. Just go and use those use those tools. And look, notwithstanding the current political climate where apparently the cricket ball is a vector of disease, so it's looking sure. unlikely we're going to get too much 
too much county cricket in England this year. What can New Zealand learn, if anything, from the strength of the domestic scene there, do you think? There's that passion for county cricket, isn't there? Yeah, there is, mate. Yeah, and, and that's tradition as well. A lot of that's tradition. A lot of, you know, people want to get in behind counties. They want to sponsor them. They've got members that have been there for, theirs for years. You know, that it goes back hundreds of years in terms of how long the game's been around in England, um, how long these grounds have been around, how, much, how the records, et cetera, et cetera. So there is a lot of tradition behind it. But you're right, domestically in New Zealand, I, I feel there's a real big gap. Um, yes, sure, around the 2020s, people are interested, but I think if that's all it is, they're interested. It's a night out as opposed to really getting in behind a team and, and supporting them. And I think if, if that could get better, stronger, uh, if there's a bit more love around it, I, you know, maybe there'd be more games to be able to, to broadcast for one, but to play. Uh, New Zealand Cricket are already talking about, you know, pulling back some of the championship, uh, Red Bull games in terms of Plunkett Shield games and playing less 50 over cricket and maybe more 2020 cricket. Uh, mm. It just, it's not, it's not real to me. Uh, you know, your core, core skill comes from Red Bull cricket. That's what we used to practice when we were in the backyard and it's got us so far. I get that the new dynamic player has to have all these new shots, but you can't have all these new shots without a base. Um, so we should pay a lot of attention to Red Bull cricket. It's, it's where the best players succeed, and from that, they pick and choose what skills they need to take to the next to the other other arenas. Do you think that absence of Red Bull cricket affects spinners more than other types of players? I mean, fast bowlers often have managed workloads. Batsmen have to change their style of play. But that habitual bowling lots and lots of overs and, and working through repetition to find the aspects of your game that you can consider real strengths. Does the absence of Red Bull cricket in New Zealand really count against spinners more than others, do you think? Yeah, of course. But, but what I will say is that those those spinners that that have that are playing for New Zealand at the moment or knocking on their door, they actually pay attention to how many how many balls they're bowling. They do bowl quite a bit. Mm. I look at Ajaz, I look at you know Sodi, I look at Sat. Um, these guys actually bowl a lot of balls and, and they they make sure that they're very pertinent with that. But you're right, the more we focus on white ball cricket, if we're going to dedicate four months of the year or you know three months of the year to white ball cricket and only three months of the year to red ball cricket, then you're only going to get half of what we need. Um, I, I listened to a podcast the other day from Keshav Maharaj, who, who is currently loading at the moment, and he's up to 60, hours, 60 overs a day. Oh. And and I'm like, mate, I think that's a bit excessive, but that's what he feels he needs. And, and he's right in saying that you don't learn how to bowl without bowling. Um, you need to bowl. You need to have those overs in the bank because, you know, to to run a marathon very well, you, you don't you don't just train two five kilometres. You know, you probably train for thirty k so that you can run that marathon as well as you can. Um, and that's where he's trying to get at is look. Let's get as many of as we can and let's understand ourselves a bit more. And if we need to, we can pull back. But initially, we need to get those loads really high. And bowling loads and working, and like you said, the seamers get looked after, fine. But I just, I, I disagree with spinners. I think it should be the other way. I, I wouldn't put numbers on them. Um, I'd look at it as time. You know, how many, how many, how many minutes are they bowling for? Is it, you know, is it two hours, three hours? And, Try and get into bowl for long periods because we aren't sprinters. Mm. You know, we our art isn't isn't done in um, in twelve overs, fifteen over spells per day. They're done over twenty five, thirty, mm-hmm. and so we need to be able to bowl for long periods of time and make sure that you know 
the same intensity with which we deliver our first ball is the same as our last delivery. And that's not just pace, but it's also that's the energy on the ball and the same revolutions, and therefore we're getting more impact out of the wicket. And um, you, you mentioned you don't uh, look at your stats, but um, I watched a, a pretty, well, a dream a dream YouTube clip for someone like me who's an off-spinner uh, of your, <laughs> your spell against uh, Durham in the, the 2014 Cup Final. That that pitch was just got ragging from like the twelfth <laughs> over lefties everywhere. Do you, do you watch a clip like that? Do you go back and just remember what, how good it was? Look, mate, lockdown, lockdown. I mean, I did a bit of that. To be honest, I'm not gonna lie, and I think people might laugh at me for doing that. But um, my three year old probably hasn't seen me play cricket. Yeah, and so it was. It's getting to the point with COVID coming around. He's probably never gonna get to see me play. So we, I threw it on the other day for him. We, Brilliant. We actually sat there for about forty minutes. It was good fun. And we just reminisced. Well, I reminisced anyway. I always had some banter around it. <laughs> he was like, "Oh, I think it's you, Dad." It was quite fun. But um, but yeah, that was a funny wicket. There was there was a different pitch to play on. We still lost that game. Which yeah, is a shame. yeah. No, I didn't want to bring that up. But but uh, yeah, that was <laughs> awesome to watch. <laughs> no, it was cool. It was good fun, mate. Um, I was just. I, I'm sure you would have seen me use some foul language at the back end of it. Because, <laughs> Um, ben Stokes bottom edge to reverse sweep that probably yeah, missed yeah. Um, leg stump by by the a whisker of a bee's I don't know I don't want to say that <laughs> you can say it oh, on yeah, here say that that's fine <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, I mean 2014 was an incredible year for you obviously but and, and at the start of that year you, you turned down the opportunity to play for New Zealand did you ever kind of wonder like once you started bowling so well like what might have been or do you think kind of that success Sort of indicated that decision to to not play. Um. Oh. No. Look, and the reason why I turned it down is, you know, we just arrived in England and and we had a four month, four week year old baby, and I didn't feel right by sending them back to New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Uh, we literally just landed. Um. And I went to the club and I said, look, uh, look, I've been offered an opportunity to go to England, and they said, look, can you give us twenty four hours? And they came back and offered me a two year deal. Well. And and on that, I was like, well, and it sounds like I might be chasing money, but to be honest with you, I was chasing security for my family. Um, and they gave it to me right from the offset. And, and even if I'd gone to the West Indies and bowled really well, I was probably only lining up a 12-month deal with New Zealand cricket. And mm. and like, I'd been through all that before, and I, I still had scars. So I wanted, I needed them to heal. And I, I was enjoying my cricket where I was. So maybe it's not at the highest level, but I actually enjoyed my job. Mm. Um, and my family with me and we had this little baby and we had a great year as a club so like I think in hindsight I wasn't disappointed at all I I, I, made, I, I think I made the right decision mm. at the time when I made the decision I was a bit unsure um, my wife said do whatever you want which she tends to say anyway which I don't know what that means half the time <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm sure everyone can, can agree with that but yeah she was like look do whatever you want and I sort of took that as I can't leave them here or I can't send them home. Mm. You know, we just arrived and there's no manual with a with a baby is there, so we were trying to figure out what to do without grandparents and without this and without that. And we got through it, but we had a really good year and it was it was a really good fun year. You know, near on three finals that year, so mm. it was it was it was awesome, mate. And I it was success on my side, but um. But the, the kicker was when the club terrorist said, look, we want you for the next two years. And that gave me and my family security. That gave me, you know, 20, well, yeah, 
gave me 30 months of a job, to be honest with you, including mm. the, uh, the Wellington stuff. Yeah. And, I mean, did you ever sort of consider, like, sticking it out and trying to qualify for England? Uh, there was talk of it, mate, but I always wanted to come back to play for Wellington. Um, yeah. And maybe my stubbornness probably got in the way of that. I never really spent enough days in England to, to, to have to qualify because I'd have to be back here for Wellington duty. Mm. And we always like coming home. It's no better place to come home to than, than Wellington on a good day. Um, <laughs> or New Zealand full stop. But, but you know, we, we love coming home. Um, and we, we always wanted to keep coming back. So it, it didn't really eventually. Hindsight, beautiful. I would have, you know, 10 years on, would have loved to have bought a property out there. Would have, you know, maybe looked at getting... Um, citizenship for especially for the kids now going going forward but mm. look it just never happened and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna dwell on it mate um it just is you did eventually return to international cricket for the black caps what what made you change your mind uh oh i was i think i was ready again mate two years later i, I can remember the phone call mate gav called me i was people don't really know this but i was preparing for a golf tournament a golf trip with the lads and I'd just been to the supermarket and I bought a couple of bottles of whiskey and we were going away for a couple of days to play golf. <laughs> Ideal. And, and the, yeah, yeah, exactly. And the phone rings. I said, Gavin Lass? I'm like, what? Oh, no. <laughs> um, and he said, look, you know, Mark Craig's gone down. Um, second test, well, you know, what do you reckon? I said, oh, look, I have to talk to the wife. Similar situation. She's, she had to fly home with two kids at this time. Mm. Um, and I got home and she said, look, again, it's up to you. And I, I said, well, I'm actually going to go. She's like, great, do it. Um, just make sure you get us home safely. And I, so we did everything we could to get them back. And I've been, I had to bin the golf trip, which really, like, it still grates me a little bit, but <laughs> it's just part of it. Um, just another whiskey. And, yeah, I, yeah, I left the bottles of whiskey there and I drank oh, no. it the year after, but that's right. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and then thought, yeah, bugger it, let's go. And there were, you know, different bunch of lads, um, different management of the group, um, and I, I felt like I was on in touch with my game, so I could control it a bit better. I wasn't chasing anything; I was just over there to prove to myself I could do this, mm. and and that's all I wanted to do. And I, you know, I didn't perform poorly; I didn't set the world alight, but that was fine by me. I was like, oh, okay, I didn't mess it up in any way, and in fact, I quite enjoyed it. Um, and yeah, it was it was a nice little fleeting comeback to be honest with you. And I mean, do you do you look at that test record now and think that it doesn't do you justice? I mean, considering what you've been able to do it for for Warwickshire and, and at first class level. Uh, of course, mate. I think everyone would like more wickets, more runs. You know, get the average down. Da 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 da. I think that'd be that everyone would like a little bit more um, justice. Well, not really. I, I'd probably. I'm honest enough to be able to say, like, I wasn't. I could have been better with how I did my job, and I think with the, all the support that's around the around the game now, I may have been able to be succeed a bit better. Um, but like, that's okay. You know, I mean, I learned from that mistake, and I'm glad that I did that. Mm. I'm glad that I, I went and tried it. I wasn't very good at it, but I didn't know why at the time until I looked back on it, and now I realise that like, I probably put too much on myself. Um, and I didn't enjoy the tough times. Like I ran away from a little, a lot of them. Whereas now, like I actually relish them. I really try and get up for them. Mm. Um, and so I, I wouldn't, in terms of justice, I, I, I probably would thank the game for doing that to me. 
if, if that was the way it panned out um, because I'd learned a lot from it. We want to touch upon the coaching a little bit now as well, but I guess um, with the county season under threat this year, you're going to go around again for Warwick the next year, do you think? I don't know, mate. I don't, I don't really know. Um, you know, the more time I sit at home waiting for the county season to start, the more I'm thinking, I don't know if I can do a pre-season. Mm. Um, I haven't done one for, what, 11 years now, so that'll be pretty difficult as a 40-year-old man, as an old bastard. <laughs> Is that um, a, the yo-yo test and all those kind of you know, things? Oh, bugger that, mate. <laughs> my knees will blow out at level one. Um, I'm, not, I'm quite enjoying being around the house, to be honest with you right now. Um, but, look, I, I've got to think, start thinking about life after. And whilst I have uh, half a foot in the door, I suppose, with working with England or um, being still relevant in the game, I should want to use that, and that'll be my big push, I suppose, this New Zealand summer, which we want to push where we go next as, as a family, mm-hmm. um, because that's what it's going to be. It may mean, you know, it may mean living in New Zealand, that would be great. It may mean moving abroad to, to look at a different role somewhere. Um, it may mean staying home there, that'll be pretty cool for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but like, we just, we have to work towards something I don't really want to get to the end of it and have nothing so we've been pushing pretty hard over the last over this period with COVID um, to try and get things in line um, and, and they're sort of falling in place as they can do but you know this this economical disaster that we're about to hit is probably going to hit my pocket too as well yeah so you, you mentioned the England stuff so you work with the team as a, a spin consultant I guess I've got a couple of questions on that one about the experience of working with the England team, but but also when I look at those kind of first class stats, yourself and Simon Harmer dominating from a spin perspective, and um, looks as if there's a couple of young guys coming through, Don Bess, Amir Verdi, um, for example. But do do you think that you know the English kind of spin ranks have got some some depth now? Are you working with some of those guys as well as part of your role? Yeah. So obviously the uh, the first question about how was the role when I when I arrived in New Zealand, when I got called into the to help up with England, and whilst they were here in New Zealand, that was weird. Mm. Um, literally being in the away changing room, uh, that was a bit different. Um, but it was cool. I, you know, I had my England hat on, and I was I had a job to do, so that was what I was doing. Um, and it was quite a little bit of an eye opener in terms of how England went, and it's it's a pretty special beast. You know, they have a lot of resources, and they use them very well. Um, it's no surprise they went on to win the World Cup. Well, not win the match itself, but lift the World Cup um, from yeah. where they were four years ago. I think that they've made some huge strides in the development of people around that group. Um, and therefore, it's not a surprise to me looking at them now as to why, why they're so good. Um, and then, you know, the second one about... Uh, that probably flows into the the depth of talent, you know, you go on, I went on to South Africa with them and then into Sri Lanka for a little bit and the more spinners came out and there was more um, exposure for me into Mo Ali, Adil Rashid, um, Matt Parkinson, Jack Leach, Don Bess. Um, you know, there was there's some serious, serious talent there. Uh, you look at the young guys in, in terms of Don Bess and Amar Verdi has just joined in now you know, Verds is, Verds is top draw. Like, he's got some real attacking skill. Um, it's just how he gets used, I suppose, a little bit. And can he 
can he fight for a little bit to keep his role, keep his job in defensive in a defensive manner when he has to bowl? I think that'll be his biggest challenge because you know Test cricket's a bit different to, to bowling at Surrey on a dust, dusty one. Um, I'm not taking anything away from Verds. I think Verds got all the skill that he can. That he's got uh, he's got enough to be able to compete, but he's going to have to learn a little bit along the hop. Um, Bessie's come from an environment where he's had to deal with a lot of um, a lot of uh, some issues as well. Obviously, mental issues that he's spoken about recently, but also being in and out of the Somerset side. Yet being a test bowler, um, having to be the de- defensive bowler in that team and then attacking ball at the back end of a game, so he had to learn that role with a, with a within England in, in South Africa, which was tough for him. Um, and then you got Leachy, you know, Leachy's probably the number one uh, test bowler right now. And I think being a left arm spinner and, and what he can do with the ball, he's also had some issues around health. So I, I think there's some real depth and real talent. Um, it's about to probably had a real boiling point at the end of this camp before this West Indies series starts that they've got five guys there of which they're probably only going to play one. Yeah. Who would your money be on as the spinner that's uh, going to play on that side against the West to, Indies? To be honest with you, mate, like, I know I spoke about the young guys then, but I reckon they'll pick Mo Alley. Mm. Um, Mo's exceptional, mate. What this, The action he puts on the ball, if I'm being honest with you, it's, it's pretty inspiring. Like, it's, it's, it's amazing stuff. Um, and he does it at will. Like it's almost like he's playing cat and mouse with people, and it's quite funny to watch when you, you know, when you're when I'm standing at his end watching him bowl, and you've got guys down the other end going, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" <laughs> so yeah, he can do this. He just needs people to love him for a little bit. Um, he got burnt out, and you know, I have had some good conversations with him, and I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying, but it just it wasn't. He wasn't really enjoying the game, mm. um, and and the scrutiny over there is you know immense. Um, and I think it got to it, but he got it. You know, he's he's a big family man. His, his faith is huge to him, and I, I don't think he was paying enough attention to his faith and therefore himself uh, during those tough times. And it was more outward focus as opposed to inward focus. And I think now he's a bit more settled and he's a bit more excited about putting those three lines back on his shirt. Yeah, and it seemed as if the vibe and the progress during that South Africa tour for the England boys looked as if they were really rebuilding post that tour of. New Zealand. What was the, you know, the atmosphere like in the environment in the in the group, as they say nowadays? Oh, mate, it's, it was good. It was a bit, a bit weary when I first arrived. I arrived on Boxing Day in South Africa, and they just played on two flat ones in New Zealand and got beat one 0 in the series. And they were pretty down in the dumps. A lot of them have been away for a long time. Um, they went home for a week and then regrouped in South Africa, and they had a week there before I'd arrived. And everyone went down with this mystery flu. Mm. Um, That's right. Don't know what that was. Maybe it was something to do with C19. I, I don't know. But mm. everyone was ill. And, uh, mate, we had, there was 19 players in the squad on the first day of the test match. And only 11 were fit. And so it was like, there's, our, there's, our, there's the side we're playing. But it was quite weird. Um and it, like, it was just a really dejected changing room. It was, you know, there was, everyone was down their haunches and quite ill, to be honest with you. Um, and it was skeleton to what it was at the back end of the series, where everyone was fit and raring to go and excited and and you know, right on top of their games. But from that point, I think they'd realised, look, it's okay, it's okay to lose games of cricket. You know, we weren't at our best, but how between now and Cape Town, will we become our best? And 
and they got pretty close there. Their, their game in Cape Town was was an immense game of cricket, and um, Stokesy was obviously uh, the jet that he is. You know, he was that Superman on that last day. But um, but beyond that, even going forward from that Test match, they they outplayed South Africa. But within the changing, it was such a different vibe to when I first arrived into South Africa, where they were. <laughs> They thought they could still do it. They thought they were supermen, but the reality was, the you know, the illness had hit them pretty hard. Mm. And, and are you hoping that you'll be able to rejoin the squad at some stage, or I mean, is is that kind of what you're trying to figure out at, at the moment? Oh, look, yeah. I mean, a job's a job, isn't it? But I'd love to keep working with the guys that you work with. I think that continuity with working with players is, is pretty important from a coaching perspective. Um, I think for the player himself, it's it's quite important. Um, but like. Being over here, being then being there with the current rules with travel, it's very difficult to, for me to get over there. Um, you know, I've I have explored options, but it makes no sense to them financially, um, which is fair. I mean, why would they pay for me to go over when they've got thirty six coaches domestically they could pick and choose from? Um, so it, it's probably going to come down to if I can get back there, trying to get in front of their faces and saying, "Look, I am available." If, if there is any work, but if not, it's that's okay. You know, I'm pretty happy to to open up all avenues, um, all doors, and, and look for work. I just, to be fair, to work in England, I need a level three um, coaching certificate, which I need to go sign off. Mm. Um, so once I get that signed off, then then I can always work in England, or to be fair, anywhere from there. So I need to get that done in terms of an educational point of view. But um, but I'd love to be back in that environment. Um, in fact messaging the boys recently about this camp that they're in. It sounds pretty doom and gloom, to be honest with you. Mm, interesting. It, um, just, just from, uh, I know it's not a, a coaching perspective, but someone that uh, you, I guess you got to, to see up close uh, and Black Caps fans are pretty excited about Devin Conway. I mean, how do Oof. you think How do you think he's going to go at the, the the highest level? Uh, I don't, um, it's, it's a tough question. I have, you know, He's been in such a rich vein of form for the last two years, but the kid can play, man. Yeah, he's such a good player. Um, very handsy, you know. If you're looking at how high we get his runs, you know, he can get he can get his he can get the ball into funny areas um, and plays the ball very late. So he's he's got a lot going for him. Um, he's he's just a good lad, though, and that's probably one thing that sort of stands out more than his ability to score runs. He's just a good bloke. Um, almost too nice, mm. and I know he's South African, which you know doesn't always <laughs> sit. But the like, reality is, he's actually a really, really nice guy, and he's got has never got a bad word to say about anyone. Mm. Um, but he's yeah, he his game's grown again. Grown again. Uh, when he first arrived, he trialed for us at the base reserve, and he was keeping. I was standing at first, and I don't know who he was. Um. And he had been playing for Victoria University Career Club at the time. And he said, oh, mate, just so you get to play here every week. And I was looking at him going, yeah, this is our home ground. <laughs> this is where the Wellington Fibers play. Mm. He's like, wow, man, you guys are so lucky. Like, how cool is this? And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <sighs> this is going to be a long season. But, um, but look, and, and we still laugh about it now. But look, to be honest with you, since... Since after that that three day game, I was like, "Well, this kid's got some skill, and yeah. he's gone on to dominate. And he works hard. He's a good lad. Um, and and I think I'm sure I'm so so happy for him. He's got his own contract, which pretty much guarantees an all, an opportunity this season. Mm. Um, 
it's not early season. It's just who for um, and and where in the order. But uh, he, he'll definitely do something that that will surprise some people. Awesome. Well, Jane, you've been awesome with your time. But before we finish up, we normally run through a little bit of a quick fire round. So right. um, just want to, um, we, we kind of skipped over it earlier on. We didn't mention your wisdom cricketer of the year in 2014. So only <laughs> you can only get that award once in your, in your career. So one of the five yeah. in the, the hallowed yellow book. So if you want to bring that up at any point during the quick fire, we just thought we'd, uh, yeah, give that a shout <laughs> out, but, um, let's make lippy salivate first as a as off spinner sitting at the table. What's your favorite <laughs> spell that you bowled? Uh, I'm going to say Durham 2014. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Durham at Lords. <laughs> yeah. At Lords. That was pretty cool. And, and but the disappointing thing is you don't win. So, yeah. I don't know. Tough uh, one. Well, look, Lippy is an off spinner. He'd rather bowl someone through the gate or nick off a lefty than see his team win. You know, oh, no. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, what about with, with, with the bat? So, we talked about that 100 on, on debut. Is that your favorite innings? Um,. Oh no, there's been a oh no, there's been a couple of other ones, mate. But like nothing, no no hundreds involved in it. Maybe just you know important contributions at the right time. I uh, scored a fifty odd against Somerset. We were looking down the barrel. We in a four day game, um, Vernon Philander was on fire at Edgbaston, and we we ended up scraping over the line eight down. Um, I got fifty at the back end to sort of scrape us over the line. So that was that was a pretty one that stuck out. But no, nothing major with the bat, mate. I never consider myself much of a bat. Fair, fair enough. Talking, I guess, the the other way around. So standing at the top of the mark and there's someone down the other end. Who who did you hate that to be? Who was the guy that you thought, no, nah, I don't want to bowl at you. I want to declare the bowling. Oh, mate, there's so many of them. Um, obviously, a lot of the subcontinent players. Um, I felt like Rohit Sharma could just destroy me by looking at me. Um <laughs> <laughs> Brenda Saywag was a tough guy to bowl to. Yeah, jeez. He just had a massive bat. Like, it looked wider <laughs> than everyone else's. It was so unfair. Um, Chris Cairns, mm. that was pretty not cool. Uh, bowling to him into a howling northerly. Jeez, I, was, even I've had that displeasure. And yeah, didn't didn't end well for me. No, no. We had to stop the game three or four times to go down uh, Adelaide <laughs> Road to get the ball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which worked in our favour actually in the game, so that was all right. Did the team justice, did the team a good one then. But yeah, no, that was, they're not cool. They're not good fun. And 643 wickets we talked about earlier on since 2012. So there is someone on the county circuit that is in your pocket. Who's your bunny? Oh, uh, no, you can't do this, mate. <laughs> um, we're not We're not big in England. Do... It's all right. It's... No, you can't do this, mate. Um <laughs> I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. Not because I don't want to um, out, out anyone. I just don't know. Like I just love getting every left hander out that I play. Mm. So that's they're, they're my targets. You know, I, I I really enjoy getting Triscothic out, but he's had my number as well. So mm. it, that's a tough one. Yeah. What's your favourite ground? Uh, each Beston. Well, in the world. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the base reserve. Yeah, I was going to say. Don't, there you go. Didn't take long. Sorry, mate. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were still on this England thing. No, no, but we'll take your first answer. You know, you, you sp- <laughs> sp- sp- spoken from the heart there. <laughs> um, what what superstitions have you got, if any? Uh, oh, there's a couple, mate. There's a couple. Um, 
I don't eat any, I, I don't eat duck during the season because I don't like eating ducks, even though I'm pretty likely to. Um, <laughs> don't eat pears because I don't like eating a pear of duck. Oh, so, nice. That's superb. Um, <laughs> then, um, oh, there's you know, some real personal ones around sort of make, making sure I take time to reflect. So I feel like if I don't do that, then I'm going to stress out at some point that I haven't mm. done it. Um, and, yeah, that's, they're probably the two. Um, what else? Oh, there's, there's some real small ones that I just, I've forgotten now that I literally haven't played in a while, but um, I'm sure they'll come back to me when I start to put my pads on. <laughs> Left one first, obviously. Yeah, I, I, honestly, I don't think I'm big on that. No. But there is something. Uh, I always put my, I actually put my gloves inside my helmet and my bat. And always leave them in a corner. But then I've had some real issues with that because people just thought it's just random kit lying around. <laughs> <laughs> They've just picked it up and moved it. And I've gone to go get it. And it's like, oh, shit, I lost my kit. Yeah. And have you got a messy kit bag or, or a tidy one? No, it used to be real messy. Real messy. And then I quickly learned that there was no way to live. And I had to tidy it up. It's really tidy now. <laughs> And uh, who's your who's your favourite teammate? If you were going into a COVID secure location and you know had to have a roommate that you could share a balcony with, who would it be? Um, I reckon Grant Elliott would be all right. Yeah, like he'd be humorous enough, but then he'd realise that I need my own space at some point. Um, yeah, I, I'd say I'd say T.S. Elliott would be good fun. Mm. Yeah. And you can't dodge this one. We want to hear a sledge that we've not heard before. You must have heard some humorous ones on the either the county circuit or in the international game. Give us one that we can put in our top order 101 greatest sledges book that comes oh, out at Christmas. Mate. I wish you'd warned me about this. I would have come up with something. Put me on the spot of this. Um, nah. 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 I haven't got anything for you, mate. Not off the top of my head. I'm sorry. Right. All right. We'll let we'll let you we'll let you dodge that one because you've been so. I've so... got a story for you, but no. uh, go no, tell it. You, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. So we're playing in England, and um, Murray Goodwin. Uh, you might have heard from heard of him, West Australian, like jet player. Mm. Um, he's playing for Sussex, and he was in a pretty bad state at the time um, mentally. So he was. He'd had a few cans the night before and um, he come out the bat and he takes guard. Now, a mate of his, Tim Ambrose, the keeper, says, oh, Muzz, look, you should really, you know, brush your teeth or something this morning, mate. <laughs> and he looked at Amy and he just giggled. Anyway, put his bat down to mark centre and he'd put it outside off stump. <laughs> <laughs> the umpire's looking at him going, what are you doing, mate? <laughs> yeah, it's it. As he said, is this sense? He said, no, it's outside off. He said, oh, don't worry about it. He just marked the line there anyway. So he, he, like, he couldn't be bothered. He could not be bothered. And he took took a stance. And the ball was running and he actually toppled over oh, in no. the middle of the game. Like, he was so drunk. And we thought, Maz, like, this is not safe. Mm. He went on to score 50 off like 80 balls. Jeez. And I mean, he was, yeah, he was such a talent. But, um, we were in such awe of that, eh? We, we loved it. Yeah. We were like, keep him in because it's so fun. It was so <laughs> funny. Just, just swing his big bat at this ball. It was so much fun. And we'll, we'll, um, we'll finish, I, I guess, on a more serious note. When you kind of look back now, you've uh, had a, an, awesome, uh, an awesome career. What's the proudest moment, though? Um, oh, 
you know, lifting trophies and bits and pieces are pretty pretty proud and and I I'm pretty proud to be part of teams that have done that and have been through hard times to get there. Um, you know, me personally, obviously being Wisdom cricketers was huge for I don't think it was huge for me, I think it was really huge for my old man. Um mm. he was like super tough for that being an an ex English supporter. Um you know, he, he yeah, that was that was pretty cool to see him get really emotional around that. But but wearing my test cap was you know, that was cool. Mm. I think that would have been my proudest moment. Like I I was lucky enough to have Richie McCall hand me my test cap, mm. um, my first test cap, so that that's something that'll stick, you know, real close to my heart. And I said, like I said before, I'll, I'll forget moments about winning and losing games, but the the people that are involved, they're the they're the big things. And I think that's a pretty proud moment to to have that um, etched etched in the brain there about you know old old Richard McCall handing my test cap to me in Cape Town. Mm. Awesome. Well, Jen, look, thanks so much for your your time. It's been awesome to. Yeah, hear about all the highs and lows and look, wishing you all the very best and hoping you can get back um, into the, I guess, the coaching bubble at, at some point in the very near future. But look, thank you very much for joining us on the Top Order podcast. Hey, thanks, guys. It's been awesome to talk to you and I really appreciate the phone call. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Top Order podcast. Before you disappear from our feed, if you're a new listener, please do go and check out the back catalogue. We've spoken recently to New Zealand coach Gary Stead. We've got Graham Thorpe. We've got Shane Dietz. We've got Barry Richards, Shane Bond, Colin Miller, all in the back catalogue. You can find the details www.thetoporderpodcast.com. With the Top Order Podcast on Instagram, although we're still really figuring that out. We're at Top Order Pod on Facebook and Twitter. So don't be shy to jump on. Give our tweets a share or a retweet. And we'll see you next week.